Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to our Bible study podcast. There is a book coming out that I'm so excited about. It's called The 50 Final Events in World History. It is my latest book, and it is a study, a very simple study. I think that even a middle schooler can go through this book and understand the book of Revelation. This is the Bible's last words on earth's final days. And it's such an important book. All of the other books of the Bible lead to the book of Revelation. And all of the chapters of Revelation lead to the end of history and to heaven. And as never before, as we see the headlines unfolding, it is important for us to understand this book of Revelation. It is not as difficult as people think. So I'd like to ask you to go online to wherever you buy books or to your local bookstore and pre-order a copy of the 50 Final Events in World History. That's the 50 Final Events in World History. It will be out in April, but it would be very helpful if you would pre-order it. Now, to go along with this book release, we also are doing here this series of podcasts called Living on the Precipice of Prophecy. And I am dealing with prophetic themes that I don't really have the time to deal with in the book. And so this goes along with that. And today, I want to look at the subject of who is this Antichrist? Last week, we looked at when will Jesus come again? What can we know about the date and the time of his coming? But now today, and for the next two weeks after this, I would like to deal with the biblical biography of the Antichrist. And who is he? When will he appear? I want to go through the Bible and show you the information about this coming man of lawlessness. The English Bible teacher, Arthur Pink, describes it this way. He wrote, Across the varied scenes depicted by prophecy, there falls the shadow of a figure at once commanding and ominous. Under many different names, like the aliases of a criminal, his character and movements are set before us. Dr. Pink called him the pseudo-Christ. He said, the deeper I have studied this subject in the scriptures, the more surprised I am at the prominent place which is given in the Bible to this son of perdition. There is an amazing wealth of detail which, when collected and arranged, supplies a vivid biography of the one who is shortly to appear and take the government of the world upon his shoulders. Well, that is so well put. Someone asked me the other day if there really was a coming literal antichrist or if maybe it was simply a concept for the evil that is increasing as time progresses. Well, we have the first clue about this man of evil in the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis 3.15. This verse is called the Proto-Evangel or the first 
good news, the first announcing of the good news. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we have the very first prophetic verse in the Bible. It occurs right after Adam and Eve had sinned in the Garden of Eden. It was spoken by God to the, uh, to the serpent, to the devil. And it says, here it is, and I will put, God is speaking here to the, uh, to the serpent, I will put enmity or hostility or a barrier between you and the woman and between your seed and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In other words, the Lord was saying, I'm going to create a spirit of hostility between you, serpent, and the human race, you think that she's on your side now, Eve and all of her descendants, and that you have already captured and doomed all of humanity. But not so. This woman will have a seed. She will have an offspring. And you will hurt this offspring's heel. But he will destroy you, and he will destroy your seed. So who is this seed of the woman and this seed or offspring of the devil? Well, in a general sense, the offspring of the woman, I suppose all of the human beings who live on the earth uh, is included in that, including and especially that one seed who will be unique above all, the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ. This is the first prediction in the Bible of the coming of the Redeemer. The seed or offspring of Satan are all of those who give themselves over to follow him, including one who will be unique above all in evil, who is the anti or the pseudo-Christ. In a paper entitled, The Antichrist in the Proto-Evangel, Roderick Graziano wrote, The progeny of Satan in view can only be the coming champion of the devil whose career the prophets and apostles describe in detail and whom John finally calls the Antichrist. Thus, said Graciano, the proto-evangel not only predicts the coming of Christ, but the coming Antichrist and the enduring enmity between them. Now, I don't want to overinterpret Genesis 3.15. But I do believe we have more than an inkling here of not only the coming Messiah, the seed of woman, but the coming ultimate person of evil, the seed of Satan, who will be defeated by the genuine Christ. Now, let's go on to Genesis chapter 10. From my studies, I believe the first such person whom we would call a forerunner to the Antichrist in Scripture was a man named Nimrod. He shows up in Genesis chapter 10, verses 8 and 9. This chapter, the entire chapter 10, gives us the descendants of Noah and his three sons. One of the boys was named Ham, and he had a son or a descendant named Cush. And Genesis 10, verse 8 says, Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, and Kelna and Shinar. From there he went on to Assyria, where he built Nineveh. Now, there are some hard names in that passage, but here is the simple understanding of it. One of Noah's descendants from the land of Cush, or the line of Cush, became a powerful warrior, 
who founded cities in what came to be known as Babylon and Assyria. Later, these were the two nations that became very crucial in the history of Israel. In fact, Assyria wiped out the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BC, and Babylon wiped out the southern kingdom of Judah in 587 BC. Throughout the Bible, the concept of Assyria, and more especially Babylon, has been portrayed as a kingdom that sets itself up against God, and in the book of Revelation, the term Babylon is used for the kingdom of the Antichrist and for his capital city. So I don't want to be too dogmatic here about Nimrod, but it does seem that the concept of a world ruler opposed to God begins with him. I don't really want to go beyond that. There's a whole mythology that has grown up around Nimrod. But if we stick to what the Bible says, we simply notice that a great warrior appeared after the flood who was instrumental in the earliest cities that later became the civilizations that sought to destroy the Jewish nation. And in the case of Babylon, will come against Israel in the future time of tribulation and Armageddon. Now let's go on to Exodus. Here I believe that I can demonstrate that Pharaoh, the one who tried to destroy the Israelites, was a foreshadowing of the Antichrist. In fact, as I point out in the 50 final events in world history, the entire story of the plagues that struck Egypt is a foreshadowing of the great tribulation that is coming in the future. Now think about this. If you want to know what the great tribulation will be like, study the plagues of Egypt and then multiply them and globalize them. And if you want to see a preview of the coming Antichrist, check out Pharaoh. Now, if you've read the first chapters of Exodus, you know that there were 10 plagues that God sent across Egypt as judgments that devastated the land and ended up saving his people. The water turned to blood. There was an infestation of frogs, another of lice. There was an invasion of flies, a curse upon the livestock. There was the outbreak of boils or some kind of uh, uh, pandemic having to do with the skin, skin disease. There was a thunderstorm of hail and fire. There was a plague of locusts. There was tremendous darkness, and there was the eventual death of the firstborn. Now, when you read the book of Revelation, notice this. You see that these very plagues are going to reappear during the tribulation, especially with the blowing of the seven trumpets and the pouring out of the seven bowls of wrath. The plagues in Revelation will be exponentially worse. For example, the waters of all of the oceans will turn into a bloody soup. The frogs will actually be demonic forces, as will be the locusts. Darkness will cover the earth. People will fight a pandemic of terrible skin disease. A global storm involving lightning and hell will ravage the earth. So Exodus doesn't give us a lot of detailed information about the Antichrist as such, but it does show us a pattern that will be reenacted at the end of time on a massive scale. What God did to Egypt under Pharaoh in a localized way, he will do to all the earth on an unimaginable scale during the days of the Antichrist. Well, when we come to the prophets, we're given a lot more information about this man of lawlessness who will head up the evil of the end times. 
In Ezekiel 38 and 39, he is called Gog, G-O-G, and his empire is called Magog. I have an entire article in the appendix of the 50 final events in world history about this. So for the purposes of this episode, I'm going to skip Ezekiel, even though the information there is incredible. But I want to focus on the book of Daniel, where we have very specific information and the description of a coming specific historical character who does serve as a biblical type or prototype for the ultimate Antichrist. In Daniel 7, he is described as a little horn. So let's read this, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 7. After that, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot what was left. Now, this was Daniel's prediction of the rise of the Roman Empire. But Daniel also foresees that this is talking about something beyond the Roman Empire that existed in the days of Christ. This is talking about a revival or a reassembling of the Roman Empire in some form or fashion in the last days. The last great empire that will rage against Christ and against the people of Israel will have elements of both the Babylonian and the Roman empires. Verse 7 continues, It was different from all of the former beasts, and it had ten horns. Now we learn from other scriptures in the book of Daniel that the ten horns represent ten different nations that will make up this revived Roman empire. And verse 8 says, While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This little horn is the one who will become the Antichrist. He will emerge from the revived Roman Empire, fight with and overcome three of the other entities of this confederation, and strive to take control. Verse 8 continues, This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. In other words, this is an actual man, a human being. And the first thing we learn about him is that he has a boastful and blasphemous mouth. He will rail against God. He will say awful things about the Lord Jesus Christ. But now look at what's going to happen to him in the end. Daniel goes right to that in verses 9 and following. Daniel said, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days... God Almighty, God the Father, took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch, because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast, that is the armies of the world, this revived Roman Empire, was slain, and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. Verse 13, 
In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. This is the Son of God, the second Yahweh, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So this is a very poignant passage. It says that at the very end of time there will be a revival of the Roman Empire, a confederation of ten different entities, and one of these, one of the kings, will strive and overcome all of the others and gain control of the government of the world, and he will be blasphemous and boastful and speak against God. But God the Father will convene the, th the court in heaven, and the Son of Man will come and stand before him and be given authority and will win the victory and rule forever. Now, that was the dream that Daniel had in chapter 7 of his book. And I've interpreted it for you, but I want to show you how the angel interpreted this dream for Daniel, beginning in verse 15. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all of this. So he told me, and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will arise from the earth. And this is the series of world empires that are interwoven throughout Daniel and interwoven with God's plan for redemption through the nation of Israel, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And then the angel goes right to the bottom line in verse 18. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever, yes, forever and ever. So Daniel tried to process all of that, but he could not get the image of the fourth beast out of his mind or the information about the little horn. So look at verse 19. Daniel said, Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all of the others and most terrifying. With its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. And now we come to a very important verse. We find out that this little horn was waging war and seeking to destroy the nation of Israel. Verses 21 and 22 are really an advanced summary of what we're going to read in Revelation 16, 17, 18, and 19 about the battle of Armageddon and the return of Christ. Look at verse 21. As I watched, this horn, this leader, this dictator, was waging war against the holy people, that is, Israel, and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. In other words, 
this antichrist, this ultimate man of evil, in the last days will wage war against Israel, and it will appear that he is going to obliterate God's channel of redemption once and for all, possibly thinking that in doing that, he can prevent the return of Christ. But the Ancient of Days is going to convene court. We see this happening in Revelation 4 and 5. And the Son of Man will be given authority and will defeat him, and God's holy people will possess the kingdom promised to them from the beginning of the age. Now, if all of this is making your head spin, don't worry, we'll keep summarizing it as we go. But now in verses 23 and following, we have the Bible's really clear portrait of the Antichrist. Verse 23, he, that is the angel who was talking to Daniel, gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth, the revived Roman Empire. It will be different from all of the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After this, another king will arise different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times, and half a time. In other words, at the end of the age, a sort of one-world government will arise, a revival of the Roman Empire. It will dominate the whole world. It will have its beginnings in a confederation of ten kingdoms or nations, but this evil warrior, this Nimrod-like character, will arise and take control. He will rail against the Jewish people and the nation of Israel, and he will try to change their customs and their laws, and he will bring his armies against them for a period of time described as time, times, and half a time. In other words, time is one year, times are two more years, and half a time is one half year. So for three and one half years, or 42 months, he will wage war against them. This is the exact duration of the Great Tribulation. We see this throughout the book of Daniel, and we see it also repeatedly in the book of Revelation. Now let's continue with verse 26. But the court, that is the divine throne, God's sovereign heavenly power, will sit. And this little horn's power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all of the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. This refers to the millennial reign of Christ from Jerusalem, which is described throughout the prophets and also in Revelation 20. His, that is Christ's kingdom, will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter, says verse 28. I, Daniel, was greatly troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. So let me summarize all of this. There are four great world empires dating from the time of Daniel that are instrumental in God's story for the Jewish people. These are the Babylonian, Persian, Greek, 
and Roman empires. At the end of time, there will be an ultimate form of human government, a global confederation, which will be really a revival, an expansion of the Roman Empire, just as brutal or more so, certainly more so than the original. After internal conflict, a warrior will arise who will lead the armies of the world against Israel for three and one-half years. This man will be very boastful and blasphemous, but just before he can destroy Israel, God will convene the court, condemn him, sing Jesus Christ, and destroy him, and Christ will reign on the throne of his empire with a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Now, all of that is in Daniel chapter 7. Let's go on to Daniel chapter 8. This chapter begins with Daniel having another dream or vision, and it involves the rise of the Greek empire under Alexander the Great. Now, as you probably know, Alexander was one of history's most dramatic figures. He raced across the world, building an empire with a power and speed that still amazes us. But he died suddenly in Babylon at the age of 32. His empire was divided between his four generals, and one of those generals was based in Syria, in Damascus, Syria. This Syrian-based general was named Seleucus, the first Nicator, and his dynasty became known as the Seleucid Empire. And one of the kings that arose in the Seleucid Empire was named Antiochus or Antiochus IV. This man, Antiochus IV, king of Syria, lived in the days between the Old and New Testaments. Daniel predicts him in the Old Testament, but he didn't show up until in between the Testaments. He died nearly 200 years before the ministry of Christ. In other words, if you open your Bible to the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew, to that page between the Old and New Testaments, you have a period of roughly 400 years. The Syrian king, Antiochus IV, occupied his throne roughly halfway through that period. Well, Daniel 8 contains a prediction about him and what he will do and what he will be like. But Daniel's prediction goes beyond the person of Antiochus. As we read, we realize that Daniel is seeing the Antichrist. He is actually describing, ultimately, the Antichrist who will appear at the end of the age. In an article in the appendix in my book, The 50 Final Events in World History, I take a deep dive into this character, Antiochus IV, and I can't do that now, but I'll give you a summary. Antiochus wanted to create an empire that stretched from Egypt to Syria. Israel was right in the middle. But in Egypt, as, he, as, he, as Antiochus tried to destroy that land and dominate it, he was stopped by the army and the navy of the emerging Roman Empire. And he returned to Syria by way of Jerusalem. And as he did so, he was in a rage. When he got to Israel, he slaughtered thousands of people, and that led to more rebellion. And Antiochus simply outlawed Judaism. He forbade the Mosaic diet and the study of the Torah. He banned the circumcision of Jewish boys. And there was great mourning throughout Israel. It is believed that 80,000 Jews were slain. Now, listen to this. Antiochus ordered a statue of Zeus to be placed in the Jewish temple. This is the famous original abomination that desolated the temple. 
a foreshadowing of what the Antichrist, the real Antichrist, will do in ordering his own statue to be placed in the future temple. Jesus and Paul and John all tell us about that. Antiochus also had swine sacrificed on the altar. He turned the holy temple into a Greek fortress, but his most horrific and almost unspeakable atrocities were the killing of little baby boys who had been circumcised. The Syrian soldiers killed these babies before their mothers, then crucified the women and hung their dead babies around their necks as they suffered on the cross. When something this humane occurs, there is a force of supernatural evil behind it. So Daniel predicted all of this, but then he indicated that Antiochus IV was not only a historical figure, but he would be the biblical type or prototype or foreshadowing of the Antichrist. In other words, it would be a pre-enactment of what the Antichrist would do to Israel during the Great Tribulation. So let's go back to Daniel chapter 8 and look beginning with verse 23. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels had become completely wicked, a fierce-looking king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. Now, this is the Antichrist. Notice how he's described. He will be wicked. He will be fierce-looking. He will be a king. He will be a master of intrigue. He will arise politically, and through military warfare, he will become very strong, but his power will come from somewhere else. We learn in the book of Revelation, it will come from the devil. It will come from Satan. This man will be energized and empowered by the serpent. Daniel 8.24 continues, He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people, that is Israel. He will lead his armies and the armies of the world against Israel. Verse 25, He will cause deceit to prosper and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. We know from Revelation 19, he will be destroyed at the coming of Jesus Christ. Verse 26 says, The vision of the evenings and mornings that has been given to you is true, but seal up the vision, for it concerns the distant future. And now that brings us to Daniel chapter 9 and to one of the most crucial chapters in the Bible as it relates to prophecy and the end of the world. The first half of this chapter is Daniel's very intense and effective prayer, confessing his sins and asking the Lord to forgive uh, his sins and to fulfill the promises that Daniel had read in the book of Jeremiah about the restoration of Israel. Now, I want to read Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 and 27, two of the most important prophetic verses in the Bible from the New Living Translation. A ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood and war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. This ruler will make a treaty with the people, that is, with Israel, for a period of one set of seven, 
that would be one set of seven years. But after half of this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings, and as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. In other words, when this ruler comes, he will establish a treaty with Israel, a seven-year peace treaty. In the middle of that treaty, he will try to force the Jews to suspend their religious practices, and he will set up a sacrilegious object that defiles the temple. But this brutal ruler will come to his very end when God's wrath is poured out on him. So Daniel said all of this in chapter 9. In the book of Revelation, John is going to take all of this information and tell us exactly how it's going to unfold during the Great Tribulation with the Antichrist. Now finally, let's turn to Daniel chapter 11, where there is even more information given about this Antichrist. Chapters 11 and 12 describe the conflicts between the remnants of Alexander's empire, especially the conflicts between Syria and Egypt, and beginning in Daniel 11.36, there's another description of Antiochus IV. And it's clear that Antiochus and the description, the prophecy here, is about a real historical person whose ultimate story will be reenacted later in the person of the Antichrist. This is what we sometimes call the double fulfillment of prophecy, or the reenactment pattern of prophecy, or the already but not yet aspect of prophecy. So look at Daniel 11, verse 36. This king, that is the Antichrist, will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will say unheard of things against the god of gods. He will be successful until the time of wrath is completed for what has been determined must take place. He will show no regard for the gods of his ancestors, nor for the one desired by women, nor will he regard any god, but will exalt himself above all of them. Instead of them, he will honor a god of fortresses. He will be a man who worships military power. Verse 41 says, he will also invade the beautiful land, which is Israel. Verse 45 says, he will pitch his royal tents between the seas, at the beautiful holy mountain. If you look at Jerusalem on a map, it's between the Mediterranean Sea and the Dead Sea. The Antichrist will set up his command post there to conquer Jerusalem. Yet, said Daniel in verse 45, he will come to his end and no one will help him. Well, I know that we have covered a lot of material. So let me just make a simple list of what we've learned about the Antichrist so far. In the book of Genesis, we're told that the seed of the devil will show up and be defeated by the seed of the woman. We're also told about a powerful warrior named Nimrod, who was associated with the establishment of both the Assyrian and the Babylonian empires, which became historic enemies of the Jewish state. We're told that in the last days, there will be another powerful warrior who will build a kingdom with Babylonian-like antipathy towards Israel and will seek to destroy the Jews once for all with the power of a revived Roman Empire. And so the theme of this mighty warrior who comes against Israel reaches from Genesis to Revelation, 
but in between Genesis and Revelation and Daniel, we're told that this coming warrior will emerge out of a 10-member global confederation. He will have a vile tongue that lashes out at God. He will be a fierce-looking ruler, a master of intrigue. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will do as, his ple as he pleases. He will cast off submission to any other god except himself. He will worship military power. He will make a peace treaty with Israel and break that treaty halfway through its seven years. He will place his own image in the rebuilt Jewish temple and demand to be worshipped. He will wage vicious war against Israel for three and a half years. He will be even worse than Antiochus IV, who brutalized Israel between the Old and New Testaments. He will surround Jerusalem and wage war against it. He will be defeated, but not by human power. He will come to his end, and the wrath of God will be poured out for him, and he will be replaced by the true Christ, the Son of Man, who will return to claim his throne over all of the world. Well, in the next episode, we'll continue working through this material to find out what else we can determine about him, because this is only the beginning of the information about the Antichrist, and we need to know what he is like because there are anti-Christ or pseudo-Christ or false saviors or evil dictators who are now on the scene. And they are all leading towards the eventual and ultimate antichrist who is described so vividly in Daniel and is executed in the book of Revelation. We'll look at all of that over the next two episodes. But thank you for following me on this. Please remember to pre-order a copy of my book, The 50 Final Events in World History. This podcast is produced by Joshua Rowe and Clearly Media. Audio editing by Courtney Warner. The material is edited and posted on my blog by Luke Tyler, and the music is by Elijah Rowe. Thank you for joining me as we do these deep dives into the Bible. And may God be with you until we meet again.